Um, we're going to talk some cricket now, Jared, uh, with Code Sports' uh, Daniel Cherney. There's a lot to to get through. Obviously, the first test finished uh, early over in Wellington, and another one starts on Friday in Christchurch. And uh, yet again, Australia win the match, but still massive questions about their batting woes, uh, mm. even though Pat Cummins says there's nothing to be concerned about. Daniel Cherney, welcome. Evening, guys. Good to be with you. Has Pat Cummins, has Andrew McDonald got something to worry about with this batting? Well, look, I think to an extent, uh, look, at the end of the day, the team has been pretty successful over the last 12 months, uh, despite some inconsistencies in the batting. And uh, look, they have won five of six tests this summer. Uh, they won the World Cup on a different format, retained the Ashes. But look, yes, there, there are some, some concerns. And I think, um, you know, we're looking ahead to next summer, the five tests against India, which will be in some respects, legacy-defining, given that India have won the last four Border Gavaskar Trophy Series, and whether uh, this Aussie batting will be able to stand up against um, the best India have to offer, and, and the likes of Jasprit Bumrah and Mohammad Shami, um, Ravindra Jadeja and Ravi Ashwin as, as they come out here. Uh, and I think, yes, there are some concerns, and, and, and particularly, um, look, Manus Labuschagne's form has been very much in the spotlight, and... Uh, Scores of one and two certainly didn't, didn't alleviate them considerably. So, Dan, tell me, take me through uh, this process uh, or this set of circumstances. Let's say he doesn't make higher than 20 for the rest of his time in uh, New Zealand. Does he get picked in the first test match? Uh, look, Jared, I think he probably does. Uh, I mean, he, look, he's got just, he had so many credits in the bank. Yeah. Uh, and, and that will happen when you're averaging, you know, 62 or 63 in Test cricket. I, look, I think there's a few factors at play here. Uh, one is that there's nine months between now and, the, and that next Test, so or around nine months. So, uh, look, there's going to be a lot of cricket there. He will go play county cricket for Glamorgan, he'll have some shield cricket for Queensland. Uh, he'll have some one-day cricket for Australia, all of which could be a chance for him to make some more runs. I know it wouldn't be Test cricket, but I think, you know, it's a chance for him to find some form again, yep. have a bit of a break, get away from it um, and, and find his best. I think the other thing is that unlike perhaps some other positions in, in the side, that there's not a clear candidate to take over. Okay. You know, it's not, it's not like the 90s where you've got 10 guys averaging over 50. You know, I know it's tougher batting conditions these days, but I, I just think that they will back him in even yep. if he does fail here in, in Christchurch. And I think, Jared, just to, to back up Dan's point, Pat Cummins made it really clear, and Andrew McDonald has said the same thing, that these are our best six batsmen. Mm. And I don't think that that can be uh, challenged because when you look at the next rung down, mm. it's Marcus Harris, it's it's Matt Renshaw, it's Cameron Bancroft. Of the players that haven't played Test cricket, it's Nathan McSweeney, who's uh, currently playing for South Australia. And they're not setting the world on fire. So it's not like there are two obvious ones that are just, mm. you know, being demanding to be selected. Which leads me there. to my next question for Dan. Have we got a problem with our talent pathways? If that's the that, case. That an, yeah, look, that is an interesting question. And then clearly it is, it is an older side. I mean, you could argue that on the back of the test we've just seen where uh, a 24-year-old Cameron Green has just made 174 yep. not out, but it's not, but not all is broken. Uh, and that there are some young, you know, good young players coming through, and particularly on the bowling side. And I know Spencer Johnson's a bit older, but uh, you look at a guy like Xavier Bartlett, you look at, like, you look at Will Sutherland coming through. Um, but look, I, I do wonder whether in this day and age that there, there do seem to be a lot of guys who are coming through as more white ball players, and sort of Jake Fraser McGurk being yep. emblematic. You know, he, 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 I suppose, is seen as Australia's, arguably Australia's 
brightest young batting prospect, but he's, he's the brightest prospect uh, in the shorter forms of the game, and he hasn't really made it click consistently, certainly, uh, in, uh, in, in uh, red ball cricket. So there are a few guys coming through in that real and that next generation guys that helped win that under-19 World Cup. So, can't, again, can't be all broken if they just won the 19 World Cup with uh, the likes of Sam Constance and, and Harry Dixon. But I suppose one of the guys with whom they would love to have um, you know, reached that level now to be challenging for a spot or, or in the team already is Will Pukowski. Yep. You know, he's been in the headlines over the last few days. He's, you know, he's that missing link, I suppose. If he was, if he was there and you know, averaging 40, 45 in test cricket, then I think a lot of these issues would be, um, would be if not papered over, would you know, be sold. Yeah, spot on. Dan, we'll get to, to Will shortly. I Just to answer your question, Jared, about pathway programs, I, I think there are a lot of people in cricket that are a bit confused at the moment as to whether there is a problem or not. Mm. And, and I, the reason I say this, there's two ways of looking at it. There's the T20 cricket is making it harder to produce red ball players yeah. from a batting point of view. Yep. But then the other part of it is that the conditions, and Dan touched on this before, the conditions now that are being presented pitches are much more bowler-friendly than they were five, ten years ago. Mm. So when we're looking at batting averages, batting yep. averages in the mid-30s are probably 10, 15 years ago, high 40s, nearly 50s. They're just different because they're wanting to create result pitches. Yeah. And we've seen that just in the last game down in Tassie. I mean, it was almost impossible to bat in the first day and a half. It flattens out, but there was a lot of damage done in the meantime. Well, if you don't reward form in red ball cricket, as in Sheffield Shield, mm. like Cam Bancroft, why would you bloody go down there and uh, yeah. make that your pathway? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fair call. So, do you, do you subscribe to that theory, Dan? You speak to as many people as I do in cricket about the changed conditions that that the batsmen are having to deal with these days. Oh yeah, look, I do, Whitey. I think you just you, you know you just have to look at the scores um, and. Like it, it can't just be that the bowling is that much better than the batting these days. I, I just can't. Yeah. I just don't think that's the case. It just couldn't be across the board so consistently. I, I think you're right. They are looking to produce result wickets. There are climatic reasons for it. Uh, and, and, you know, that does tend to be the way. I mean, I'm just interested, interested to touch on Jared's point about Bancroft. And I, look, I, I do feel for Cameron Bancroft because he had, you know, no pun intended, bang down the door, um, making a lot of runs uh, in, in the shield. But I suppose that the problem there is that you then you look at someone like Cameron Green, who, when he has gone back down, has dominated in the shield you know, even more so. So at mm-hmm. some level, they are reporting shield cricket. The problem is that you're not necessarily getting. And thankfully, next summer, we, we probably will get a lot of the best Aussie players playing a few rounds of shield cricket. And you'll actually get to see you know, how these guys all stack up against each other. Because at the moment, you're trying to compare someone like a Cameron Green um, or, or, say, say a, a fringe white ball player, say a Josh Inglis, who just did go back and make a big score for WA in, in, in the Shield. But he can't make hundreds of Shield runs because he doesn't have the time to make yep, yep. Shield runs because he's playing, he's playing um, in, in the white ball team or travelling as, as a reserve. So it's just it's not an, not an even landscape, um, which makes it very hard to try to discern yep. you know, which, which runs you, you need to value and which you shouldn't. Yeah, I reckon Josh Inglis is a better chance than Alex Carey for we, be the weird keeper for the next series against okay. India. I, I truly believe that they won't be far away from making that switch mm. unless Alex turns things around really quickly. And I'd love Alex to stay there, um, but Josh is coming with a rush. And I think just on the Cam Bancroft point, I think if it was Usman Kawaja that had retired and not David Warner, I think Cam Bancroft would have played. Right. I just don't think it was uh, a matchup like that the they like because they didn't want two slow-scoring batsmen uh, opening the batting together, yeah. I think it was as simple as that. And I think Bancroft has just got to come to terms with that, that that's just the way it's, it's played out. So how was the loss received by the New Zealand public? Because it was uh, 
It was a couple of major collapses. They were in reasonable positions at, at various stages, and uh, and when they allowed Australia to make a hundred for the last wicket, uh, all of a sudden it just evaporated, and so too did their spirit. Apparently. Mm. Well, Jared, I think there's a real sense of resignation, and it's funny. I mean, in, in Australia, we have the Bledisloe Cup, where you know the Aussies haven't had a look in yeah. twenty years, yeah. and it's really it's completely the inverse yeah. when it comes to cricket, because Australia this is now thirteen consecutive series, Trans-Tasman Trophy series, yep. after which Australia have held held the trophy. I mean, thirteen is ridiculous. It'll be thirty-three years by the time we get to um, to the next time these two sides meet in like twenty twenty-six, yep. back in Australia twenty-six-seven. Um, so yeah, as I said, a sense of resignation. Uh, it was quite, quite. I was at the press conference this morning with uh, the New Zealand coach Gary Stead, and he, you know, New Zealand. I mean, he sort of thinks New Zealand media is sort of um, you know, Kiwis are always a bunch of great, great people and and sort of the nice guys of world cricket. But there was there was a little bit of spice in it, and I think there's a real sense of frustration about some of the selections, the, uh, the the misreading of the pitch conditions, you know, guys um, just not going on with it. Uh, I, I think there is a sense that. Australia are in their heads a bit, but I think also they, they have made some tactical blunders. Mm. Uh, and, and they've now, you know, to their credit, and they've fessed up to this, New Zealand say they've misread pitches in consecutive tests yeah. uh, against South Africa and Hamilton and, and now against uh, Australia and Wellington. And, you know, in the two-test series, when you need to need to win the series outright, that's not a lot of margin for error. And I think it's particularly glaring also for New Zealand because they were in this test. You know, they, yeah. they did a lot right. Mm. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they largely kept Australia's top six quiet. Um, they, they had a, some, you know, some decent moments with the bat. Um, Glenn Phillips took a five-far, but they dropped four catches, and then obviously they let um, they let Cameron Green and Josh Hazelwood put on that big stand on the second uh, second morning, and you know that was probably the ball game really when you when you look back at it. I, I'm big on this. I, I think New Zealand consistently choke against Australia. Okay. Because th- there's too many examples of New Zealand getting themselves in winning positions yep. over the, the, let's just say, the last seven or eight years when they've played in different forms of the game. And when, when it comes to the crunch, they can't get it done. And that happened in this test match. Yep. There were so many times where they're on top of Australia yep. and they let them off the mm. hook. Happens down too often. Yeah, look, it's hard to disagree, Whitey. I mean, I suppose, especially given that they have been a pretty strong side against other teams. That's I mean, right. Because all you can do is try to compare how they go against, you know, they are just so much worse against Australia. I mean, they, they've, they've really had it over India at home. I know, to be fair, they had, didn't have a very good record against South Africa until winning that series against the weekend Proteus side last month. So, again, there, there are some teams they have struggled more against more than others, in, other than Australia. But, you know, this is a, this is a team that did, you know, nations did win the World Test Championship three years ago. Now, admittedly, they are a weaker side since then. Trent Bowles has stepped away from Test cricket. Um, they, they don't have Cole Jameson at the moment through injury. Devin Conway uh, has missed um, this, this test and now out for the series with a thumb injury. Colin de Grandholm, who played quite an important role there um, as that all-rounder, uh, stepped away from, from this format as well. So, look, they're, they're not as good as they were, and Tim Southey's coming towards the end, etc. But yeah, you're right. I think, as I said, as, you, as I said, 13 series, 33 years. I mean, something's not right. Can I ask you about the uh, players' um, year uh, commitment to the sport, both of you? And I've had this uh, chat to you, Dan, Dan, before, but it seems to me that somebody like a Labuschagne, there's two forces at play here. There's your professional income, and that is your money-making capacity. We're going to go and play county cricket. We've got, uh, we're hoping to play in the, the, the one-day series, the world championship, etc. But he, he may just need three months off. That may well be the best thing that he does for his long-term career and his long-term income. But 
Who does the advice on this? Does his manager do it? Because he looks to me so uh, so fanatical that perhaps he, he can't see the, the trees from the woods. Well, I'll answer this one first because I think it's a really interesting question, Jared, that you ask. I think always Manus has thought that the more work you put in yeah. – the better you will be. Yep. That's not necessarily the case across all sports. And, and the harder you try doesn't necessarily also mean the better the results. So it's an I, 80s, it's a really 80s uh, approach. Yeah. And then hernia started, stress fractures started. Yep. Uh, Dennis Lilly went down with his stress fractures. And yet uh, we got smarter in football, but I'm just wondering where the cricket are going into where we were in the 80s. I think with Marnus, it's definitely a mental thing. And I think we talked about this last week. Marnus went back and played club cricket. He went back and played shield cricket. One day cricket. He just wanted time in the middle. He'd go to bed, put his head on the pillow and play a game of pillow cricket. Now, maybe he does need three or four months to just refresh. Because all of the players, yeah, all of the players um, have had a a crazy last sort of 12 to 15 months. Um, maybe that's what he needs because Australia need him yeah, performing big time, yeah. big time because he's one of the he's probably the youngest one yep. of the the senior of players, the oldest ones. He needs to be playing <clears throat> for the next five to to eight years. Yep. Um, what do you think, Dan? About just you know a circuit breaker for Manus? Yeah, look, they're all interesting questions. I suppose uh, look, only look, you'd hope he has the self awareness, and not, not everyone does, but. You would hope he has the self-awareness to know whether he's cooked and needs a break. I do know he's taking a little bit of time off. He's actually having a later start to the county season. He's got a sister's wedding coming up. So he's, he, I think he's, he said he wants to do a bit of camping. I, I spoke to him, interviewed him before the series, and there are a few things. He, he said, oh, he's having to do a few of the things he hasn't been able to do. for the, Well, he said for the first, last one or two years, and then he sort of corrected himself, or maybe for the last six or seven years, <laughs> yeah. um, which, is, which is not, you know, he's not wrong. I, I think he also put in a lot of energy into getting his spot back in that white ball side. And he did yeah. that World Cup and the emotional rollercoaster that must have been. And what an amazing effort, amazing story, you know, all the, all the bizarre things that happened. Glenn Maxwell, um, Marcus Stoinis, um, Travis Head, all, all these, all these um, weird incidents that allowed uh, Marnus to, to get his spot back in the side and, and he did a great job and, and helped win Australia the World Cup. But yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. You just hope that the right... Look, I, I think he has good people around him, um, you know, He's managed, he's managed by Dean Kino, who's been around cricket for a long time and used to work at Cricket Australia and is a you know, prominent administrator. Um, you know, the good people at Queensland Cricket, the like of Terry Spencer, the CEO there, I think will advise him, you know, plus those at CA. So I, I think he's got good people around him and I think he's mature enough to be able to make a good decision. You know, he's got a, he's got a young daughter now as well. Um, clearly, you don't want to spend plenty of time with your family on that, on that front. So... Look, um, it's, it's a balance because you want to be able to play cricket and, you know, maybe there are some things that you could go over to England and work on which will help him get in a better position. But you just want to make sure you you are fresh come, you know, the most important series, which I think, to be fair, for Australia across the board, they've done a pretty good job of doing. Actually, perhaps with the exception of Cameron Green last year. Yeah. But, you know, he, he had three million reasons to go to the IPL yeah. and didn't have a great next few months. And lo and behold, he goes and plays a Shield game last week or a couple of weeks ago and has his best best outcome since. So, you know, it's, it's, it's look... In short, it's a very tough landscape for cricketer because they do have all these options uh, and, and a short-earning lifespan. Will Bukowski, what, do you, what, what can you add, Dan, from what has happened in the last 24 hours? Uh, look, Whitey, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've been close to, to it the most. And um, look, having, having written that many words and, and stories and different chapters about Will Bukowski over the last six or seven years, um, you sort of... You reach, you know, you, I sort of can't quite believe 
you know, well, I can't quite believe how quickly this one's happened since the last one, but usually there's some sort of, some sort of break. I mean, not, not to be flippant. I mean, it's, it's a very... It's a very distressing situation, clearly, and you primarily, and I know this goes without saying, but the most important thing is Will's uh, long-term well-being. Look, there, there's a real confluence of circumstances here. Um, there, there, there's sort of this nexus between his mental health, uh, his um, performance anxiety, perhaps some technical issues, proclivity to be concussed. It's very complex. You know, I do not profess to be a medical expert. But look, what I anticipate here is that we've reached a point where um, cricket Australia and Cricket Victoria uh, need to have, you know, really, really extensive um, go through a really extensive process to figure out is is this best now for Will Bukowski to keep playing? Um, I'm not saying that it's not, but I think that you know we really need to have a long, long think about this now because it's happened again. You look at this season; he's retired hurt, retired hurt twice from games, had a, had a um, personal break earlier in the season as well. Um, I know he made that time in Sydney, which was seen as such a breakthrough. And, you know, he was so open with you in that podcast recently. And, and uh, I think there's so much love and respect for him. But, you know, he's got a long life to live, hopefully, beyond cricket. And Will is such an impressive guy that he has other options. Um, and, you know, we'd all love for him to be a 60-test batsman for Australia and, and, you know, be the player that I think we all believe he, he could be if he got a good run at it. But uh, I think that there are, there are more important issues at play. So, look, they're going to go through a process again. I, I doubt he'll play again this season. He won't play next week against Western Australia. Uh, if the Vicks make the Shield final, which is a bit less likely now on the back of that loss to Tasmania, I think that's in doubt as well. Uh, he's out of contract with Victoria at the end of the season still. Um, you know, and I think that there's, there's going to be serious conversations about his future now. And he's supposed to go to play county cricket early uh, or next month, the start of the season. I think that's got to be up in the air as well. Look, I think everything is at the crossroads now for Wilkowski. And um, look, it, it's, a, it's from a sporting level. It's um, to, it, to see him, you know, not play would be a, in a sporting sense of tragedy. But there's, there's a, there would be a human tragedy if his life was badly affected yeah. by this in the long run. And, and that's got to be, you know, the number one priority. Yeah, it's such a sad story at the present time. Uh, we can only uh, hope that uh, there's a positive outcome. You addressed this uh, at Code Sports not that long ago. Uh, the preposterous thought, as you describe it, uh, that Nathan Lyon might surpass the great Shane Warne as Australia's greatest test wicket-taker. Yeah, look, it's not, as I said, it's not as preposterous as you might have thought. I mean, when you think of, you know, where Nathan Lyon's come from, and he's so unfashionable for all yeah. those years, yeah. and, you know, the questions about his spot on the side in the early days, you know, um, probably um, worked over by the selectors. You know, they dropped him for Ashnaya, they dropped him for Xavier Doherty. They almost dropped him for Steve O'Keefe, which I think people forget. In late 2016, he was probably going to lose his spot if O'Keefe hadn't got injured. Uh, and, and look at him now. I mean, he is going as well as he ever has. He's come back from that calf injury brilliantly. He was fantastic. You know, Green was, um, you know, this was Green's test match, but G. Lyon also took a 10 for and top scored in the second innings and an, yeah. an exceptional match. You know, in Wellington of all places, you know, you do not associate Wellington to turn. Now, it did turn and it did bounce, which really suits suits Lyon. But he's just such a smart bowler these days. I mean, he always has been, but particularly now, the way he worked over Kane Williamson, um, set that leg side trap for him, set the trap for Ravindra, who hit it straight to point, just as New Zealand were looking to be, um, you know, looking to get the game back on their terms uh, in, in the run chase. Uh, just a magnificent performance for, from Nathan. And, you know, he's 36. Um, he's only really playing one format internationally these days. He plays a bit of, you know, a bit of uh, white ball cricket here and there. But you know, he, he can set himself up for these series. Uh, to, to the max yesterday, he's got about, you know, 
if he stays fit, and it is an effort, 36, but, you know, as a spinner, you'd think he'd be reasonably durable, has been very durable, and you'd, you'd imagine he shouldn't get injured too often as a, as a finger spinner. Um, and certainly on form, there's no reason to think he won't play uh, for the next few years. So he might have, say if he has 35 tests left over the next four years, given he wants to get to India and England in 2027, um, if he averages four or five wickets a test, you know, that's we're talking... Uh, 150 wickets there. He's already at 527. Warren finished 708. He's going to get mighty close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will, will he get there or not? Oh, yeah. I, I suspect he'll just miss. But you know, if I'm look, if I'm if I'm thinking about, it, I reckon he's going to get to 650, um, which is incredible. Uh, look, again, long way to go. Anything could happen when you're 36. But um, yeah, he's still hungry. He's still performing very well. He's still working on his craft. Um, as I said, he's not going to get swallowed up by the franchise system, which helps. Uh, it's, it's remarkable and um, you know, all credit to him. It is uh, remarkable how well he's going and I think we've already realised how much we missed him in the, the back half mm. of the Ashes. Dan, thanks very much for joining us uh, tonight on Sports Day. No worries, guys. Pleasure.